Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insight. Outtakes from Hobby Hotline from a couple weeks ago. We got talking about the industry summit, which really had just finished. I'm really sad I wasn't there. And I, I made a mistake not being there, but I did have a family uh, conflict, my father-in-law's birthday party. <laughs> so better to be there than to be uh, in Vegas, let's say. But a great time was had in Vegas, I'm sure. And we talked about that. But thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Husband Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and then Beckett Media. Beckett grading, Beckett authentication, the Beckett industry summit. So that's what we talked about. I had a good time talking with uh, Drew and Sam, and you can check out uh, their episode in its entirety. But this is just that segment that talks about that. 12 minutes and hope you enjoy. It's like the national. I used to go every year, right? Uh, all those summits. And the last several years, I go every third one. But I think I'm making a mistake. It's really becoming more important. Get together. Next year, I'm going to get it on my calendar early. Not only the connections you can make, but the stuff you can hear of what's going on, the state of the hobby from the people that are on the ground floor doing this every single day. The questions the hobby wrestling with are not easily solved, <laughs> but they're, right. we can work toward it if we all get in the same room. That's why I need to be there. I want to be a force for, for good in the industry. Some of the questions are not answerable. But right. when even quasi-competitors getting together in the same room, there's an opportunity to work together to build the hobby. I hope that's what the summit always stands for and has greater and greater inclusion. If you were at the summit, what would you be saying? I guess I can't really call it a hobby anymore, but an industry. Probably. I don't know that uh, Brian Gray is the sage of the industry, but he certainly <laughs> can be the voice at times. And his word yes. is pivot. And he was at our... Uh, content creator dinner we had a few weeks before. And again, mm -hmm. that was his word. I think he's spot on that business as usual or hunkering down or getting defensive or retrenching. That's not the approach right now. It's to be creative. It's to be thinking about new partnerships or new ways to do things and pivoting, not just on your own, but with some other sympathetic partners who all want the hobby to thrive. Even the use of the word pivot from basketball. Uh, it, when I played basketball, pivoting was more restricted. You really had to keep your pivot foot down. Right. If you slid it just a touch, you were called for traveling. Well, today's NBA is way more dynamic. And I, I've seen a, the, the broadened definition of pivoting. And that's what's happening in our hobby. The creativity. And, and not, it's not a slight pivot. It's taking liberties with a pivot. And and it's two James Harden step backs. Which these, uh, which these uh, superstars can get away with. I think that's what's happening in our industry. The bigger players in the industry are making very bold moves that before would have been not illegal, but just not the way it would have been done. That's sure. the parallel there. It's scary, but it's exciting. Yeah, they definitely are making some bold moves. That's for sure. You mentioned different risks. When you see these companies taking these risks, do you think they're doing the right thing? Some of the riskiest plays are being done with other people's money. There's yes. some big money that maybe not as knowledgeable about the industry, but is excited about the future. They're making big bets. Some of it's coming externally. If you're an LCS or a show promoter or a, a hobby supplier, you're probably continuing to do what you're doing. But some of these digital plays and NFT and NIL, those are breakthroughs. And there's new money coming into those. There's a different risk profile. They're investors. They're clearly looking at it as a business, as an industry, as an investment. So maybe we're not in a hobby anymore. Maybe we're just right. in an industry. 
You mentioned NILs, and as soon as that ruling came down, the first thing I thought of was cards. What do you think in terms of the NIL we'll see next year? Really start to see some stuff pick up. Do you think we're going to see a lot of NIL type stuff, possible third-party companies coming into play with NIL, signing some of these exclusive young athletes? And there's a couple of up-and-coming companies. I looked at their Instagram, and they're signing these top college quarterbacks, and they've got 50 followers. And it, it blows my mind, the money that they've got to sign these guys. But the NIL really opens up millions of opportunities for all card companies all around. NIL was announced or declared on July 1st. And it's it, it got a lot of play for a few weeks. And then all these other bigger news things have come out. Yeah. In July, I think the Topps Panini Upper Deck not necessarily as much Leaf, but the three biggest card companies, I think, they weren't ho-hum, but I think they were thinking, oh, we'll look into that. After Fanatics is jumping in, yeah. I think Topps, Panini, and Upper Deck need to be more, way more aggressive and probably will be. Can you imagine Bowman kind of prospects and Bowman Chrome kind of prospects that cover football and basketball, if they can sign them yeah. up? So I, I think there's a play there for the bigger companies. These smaller companies are locking them in. Again, I don't know that there's a reason for a college athlete to be exclusive unless there's a whole bunch of money thrown at them. Right. Otherwise, why can't they just you know, sign with whoever they want to sign with and get cards and autographs and stuff? It's going to shake out with respect to, I don't think you can use game use stuff because I think that's infringing. Yeah, but you I can use so. uh, player-worn T-shirt or something. Yeah. So I think Tops Panini and Upper Deck uh, ought to be jumping in and really getting creative of how they can get a piece of that pie. Because if Fanatics is going to take a giant piece out of their pie, this could be a growing piece of the pie to replace that. Yeah, I agree. And Upper Deck in particular has done some major moves lately, bringing back some legendary employees that were responsible for some of the biggest releases ever to head up the re-release. For example, Skybox Metal and the hockey that was just released. When you, They brought back the original designers. They're, they've really built that team back up for something strong. And you're right. You, you've got the opportunity now where these companies could all get multiple different sports and have a lot more than they did before and have an opportunity to have revenue streams and products for people that were never there before. And I agree. I don't think when it first came out that they gave it a thought whatsoever, but now they've got to. Panini looked at it initially and it had yeah. an announcement that they were working with a group that was going to aggregate players. That's the way to go. The small companies can do the one-offs and Tops yeah. has done that to some degree, but the power of the brand to sign up a group, the Power Five conferences in football or ACC in basketball. If you had a group licensing of, again, I don't think college athletes necessarily want to unionize, but some kind of an association for licensing purposes. If that's in the works, then I, th I think Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck, anybody would be interested in that. Fanatics would be interested in it too. Is the top thing the license or the brand? Because Tops is a trusted brand, Fanatics is a question mark, at least in terms of the hobby. We've all seen Fanatics and what they've done everywhere else. They've been wildly successful and very much respected. But when it comes to it, what what is more important? We shouldn't have to choose. And, right. and we didn't have to choose until now. And so if it's the license or the brand, Fanatic can say, okay, I've got the license. <laughs> we'll see yeah. how much brand uh, is important. And my comments about them trying to work out a sub-licensing deal, Brian Gray doesn't think that's going to work. We'll see about that. Uh, 
And that'll be the test. If Is the brand really that important? History says that when Panini jumped in, they had some name recognition a decade ago, whatever, if they've come on really strong. If you put out a great card set, and it's not like Fanatics is not a known right. entity. If they've decided to do their own cards, I'm, I'm not betting against them. They already have a brand. And in fact, they want to extend their brand to gambling, potentially to grading, to marketplaces. But they want to be the brand. When you think about sports, you think about Fanatics. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. FLIR is no longer a company, but Upper Deck bought rights to their brands, their patents, their copyrights, their trademarks when FLIR was perhaps bankrupt. Right. They're using them. Now, Tops is not going to be bankrupt. Tops could be purchased or they could uh, make a deal to say you can use our Tops uh, trademark. Again, Brian thinks that's unlikely, but I think it's not off the table. I think there's going to be Tops cards in five years. Yes. Uh, and I think they're going to be Tops baseball cards. I just think. Unless they work through Fanatics, they're not going to be top baseball cards that work through the Major League Baseball Players Association. Sure. What do you think? Some brands can just exist and be viral, be in the culture, and Tops is like that. They don't have to do any marketing or promotion, and they'll always be Tops. On the other hand, the newer upstarts, Fanatics, didn't even exist, whatever that was, 10 years ago or so. They popped out of nothing, and they're a huge brand that people right. think of it. So you take a brand that's not as well known and you throw lots of marketing dollars at it, which you can do when you have the exclusive license and you can build up the power of that brand. That's what I expect Fanatics to do. What Brian's saying is that why would Fanatics want to build up the Tops brand? They want to build up the Fanatics brand. But then why do they have lids stores? Why wouldn't they just be Fanatics right. caps? Or Rich Klein has said that with the lids stores, if those are a broader base Fanatics outlet in the malls, uh, and people come there to pick up their online orders or to see samples of the products. I, I agree with Rich. I think that's a winner. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It be a household name. They yeah. are in the f- fanatical sports fans. Yes. But they want a broader uh, reach into not just the American public, but the world public. They want to sell everything sports to everybody. If you look at Fanatics history, they start out with something like getting into jerseys, then they become the one-stop shop for everything you need related to sports. That's how Fanatics has been run for a very long time. They want to become that one-stop shop. But you also mentioned the marketplace. And right now we're seeing, obviously, with PWCC and everything, starting their own marketplace, you've got eBay, you've got possibly a Fanatics marketplace, you've got all these new marketplaces opening up where before, in my opinion, one of the best things was you had a centralized marketplace where you could find every. What do you think about this expansion of all these new marketplaces? Because sometimes you're going to be searching five, ten different areas as opposed to one or two from before to try and find what you're looking for. Do you think having a ton of markets is a, is a better thing for the hobby? I think the corporate positioning of fanatics is that, yeah, that's really bad if there's four or five marketplaces. We want to have the one. So I think they're going to be very aggressive. Now, with eBay, they've got somebody their own size. But all the other you mentioned are niche players mainly in the hobby and successful in their own. But again, if it's more difficult, I won't say tough luck, but it makes the hobby more interesting. But the fact that you're only going to go to eBay for comps on certain cards 
is, is outdated. Some of the really huge cards, it's the Goldens of the World, the Heritages, the mm -hmm. PWCC. The huge cards don't go through eBay. The bigger the card, the more you've got to do comps. And if you've got to go five places to be assured that you're on target with your price, people will do that. They're not going to do that for a $5 card. They may not do it for a $50 card. For a $500 card, $5,000 card, yeah, they're going to check everywhere they got to check. Com C is comfortable being a niche, okay? Right. Yes. If, if Fanatics bought Com C, they'd want to turn it into the place. And whereas <laughs> Com C, I think, spends a lot of their retained earnings, the money they're making is going into improving the product and, and their growth. But if, if they were owned by Fanatics or somebody with such deep pockets, they'd be throwing tons into marketing and beefing right. up, getting more cards on there, getting more eyeballs, and, and just growing that business. Whereas I think Com C being uh, individually owned has got a great spot for now. What do you think of the grading landscape right now? People in their hobby go back and forth. Some are more analytical and some are more emotional. Right. And anytime there's a dynamic uh, change, then you can't just do what you've always done. To me, right. that's good for people to stop saying, hey, wait a minute. Okay, if somebody's raising the price, do I still want to be with them or should I check out the competitors? Or mm -hmm. if they've stopped their services. When we started BGS, we wanted everybody to consider that, that we had a strong service. PSA was already the incumbent and uh, we had our distinctives. But there are people that just always use PSA. They don't use right. SGC or BGS. And, and each one has people that only use them. Surprisingly, I, I don't necessarily think that's the best. I think you ought to be looking at the landscape, seeing what's going on, even new entrants, being a little more analytical and not just blindly doing. That's good. That people are evaluating how they do their hobby. And if everything is going to go to PSA or BGS or SGC, regardless of mm -hmm. service level or price, to me, that's not a thinking person's approach to the hobby. It's a good deal for certain cards. BGS is a good deal for certain cards. SGC is a good deal for certain cards. I've heard that espoused by many. Mm -hmm. But the rules change when they get way behind or, or the notion that I'm just going to send everything to PSA. Now, if you're working on a registry, you're a little stuck there. And PSA likes that. But they need to get caught up or otherwise people will get discouraged. Yep. And uh, I do agree with Rich Klein here. I think we are about nine months away be from being back to a new normal for the grading companies. Who knows what that new normal is?